Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today's interview with Mark Litton is about an entrepreneur who acquired a business from his father. One of the things I most enjoyed about this conversation is Mark's enthusiasm for acquisition entrepreneurship. His excitement is infectious. He talks about how, for most of his life, entrepreneurship meant starting from zero. But once he realized that acquiring a business was another path to becoming an entrepreneur, his mindset shifted and it kind of clicked. And now he's an evangelist for buying businesses. Does that sound familiar? For many of you and me, it took some time, but you, we eventually learned what a great path acquiring a business can be. Another detail to Mark's story worth noting, his business is medical distribution. So you can imagine what that was like as COVID was peaking last year. And Mark talks all about it. Here he is, Mark Litton. Mark Litton, thanks for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure, Will. You're the owner and president of Howard Medical, which is a medical distribution company in Chicago. And you acquired Howard Medical from your father, who was the founder. Uh, he founded the company in 1978. So obviously, that's, that's an interesting detail that we're going to get into. Also, I, I got to make sure that we spend some time on the fact that here you are in the medical distribution business at the height of a pandemic. So I imagine 2020 was an interesting year for you. So we'll want to hear all about that. Absolutely. And then lastly, lastly, one of the things that stuck with me, Mark, after we talked the other week, I guess last week or the week before, was your enthusiasm for business acquisition. You, yep. you were always kind of entrepreneurial, but it wasn't really on your radar to buy a business. And once you explored the opportunity and then went ahead and bought a business, now you kind of can't stop talking about it. Uh, <laughs> so I, th that makes two of us. So yep. uh, I kind of want to hear about that progression. But Absolutely. before we dive into all of that, why don't you give us, uh, start us off with two minutes on you prior to working for your dad. I know you, you worked for him before you bought the company. So, so lead us up to how you started working for Howard Medical and any relevant background before that. Yeah, absolutely. And again, well, greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to be here. I can talk medical distribution and Howard Medical all day long. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so my dad started the company back in 78. Um, so when I was born, it was a continual part of our family. We would sit down for dinner and it was always a discussion at the, at the dinner table. And growing up, I guess I had a slightly different uh, weekend activities in grade school because I would be repackaging gloves with my dad in the warehouse at North and Elston here in Chicago. Um, so hard medical has always been a part of my, of my upbringing, a part of my, my DNA. But outside of that, definitely very entrepreneurial. Me and my older sister would have that uh, go, you know, door to door selling the, uh, the, the subscriptions out of the magazine and mm -hmm. however many points you got was what you could get. We get a snow cone machine or we'd get a bow and arrow set and all that kind of stuff. So we were, I was definitely well versed at hearing a lot of no's early on in my, uh, in my entrepreneurial career. But yeah, I kind of grew up with the company, started doing, uh, different, different jobs. It was uh, driving a car for a couple of summers, did some marketing internships. Uh, but then when I went to college, majored in entrepreneurship, and I actually did a um, painting franchise called College Pro Painters. Did that for two years during college. That was a lot more of an education than the, uh, than the actual school was. Then uh, came back to Chicago, got into leasing for a little bit. And my dad hooked me back in a, a couple of years post-graduation to help him build up sales in order to, to sell the business. But once that conversation started getting rolling, and he asked me if I was interested in really, uh, really took a life of its own and took over my brain. And, and here we are. So going back to college for a minute, the franchise, the college painter, college painters pro is what it was called. Yeah. College pro painters, no, no college longer in, in business, which is very, very sad. Cause that was an incredible opportunity for a, a low risk way to get into entrepreneurship when I was in college. And so in what capacity were you running a franchise, owning a franchise, just doing painting with their t-shirts? Tell me 30 seconds yeah. on that business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, fr franchise owner with no money down. So they, they would take college students that were interested in entrepreneurship and they were able to run their own business. So I had a, a general manager who I would, you know, report into and talk to, uh, you know, daily and then weekly. And then we have all, all the types of, uh, of different trainings and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it was your own business. You had a turf. Mine was Mequon, Wisconsin. I've knocked on every single door in all of Mequon, Wisconsin multiple times. 
And wow. we built out a team. I had my second year, I had three different crews going of three to four people. Uh, we painted $135,000 worth of, of homes and decks in Mequon, Wisconsin. I was manager of year, second year in the state of Wisconsin. And, and it was great. I mean, you really learned every aspect of the business. You had to do every single thing. And so you had, a, I mean, I didn't even know how to paint before I yeah. <laughs> was, was, a, was, a, was the, the owner of the franchise. So first I had to learn how to paint. And then two weeks later, I had to teach a crew of people how to paint houses. So it was a, it was a very strong, strong learning curve. I mean, all aspects of the business, accounts receivable, marketing, yeah. just everything. So it was a great introduction for me personally. And when you got out of school, did you not want to continue do your own painting company or something in the home services space? Yeah, I I used College Pro to see if entrepreneurship would be a path for me in my life. And so my first year of College Pro, when I failed, I did not make money and it was terrible. They let me do it again. In my second year, it, it worked. I was able to profitably run a business during during school. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneurship in some capacity, but my thought was I was going to need money to do so. There was no way that I could just go start a business, right? So uh, the job that I took was, was real uh, leasing apartments in Chicago. I knew if I could make some money at that, maybe I could start saving some money and then figure out what the next step was. But I, it did, for me, solidify that I wanted to do entrepreneurship in my life. But that just seemed more like a pipe dream because okay. it was something that would be very difficult to attain and you would need to build the base of business. There's all of these preconceived notions I had about entrepreneurship, which I completely don't subscribe to any of those anymore. It's a lot more yeah. easy to get into than in my head. It seemed like this huge hill to climb. So you start uh, leasing in the, and you're in the real, the real estate world in Chicago. And then your dad says, Mark, I want to prepare the business for sale. Come sell for me, come work in sales at Howard Medical and help me build up revenue in it, it, planning for an eventual exit a couple of years, two, two, three, four years later. Is that right? That's correct. So he, he knew of my personal uh, uh, desires to start my own business, to be an entrepreneur. So he said, if you're able to grow business by X amount over the course of two years, I will then give you Y percent of the sale amount. You can take that seed money and go start whatever company you want to start. So cool. in my mind, I was thinking that's a phenomenal opportunity because all I have to do is sales. All I have to do is sell. That's, that's easy. That's just one portion of running a business. And I you know, think I'm kind of good at that part of it. And if I could increase your sales to a point that makes your business more attractive to an acquirer, and then I can get a you know a very small percentage of that to then go start my own business, it seemed like a lock solid idea to me. Cool. Okay. And so that's what that starts in what year are you at Howard Medical as a as a salesman? Uh, about 2013 or 2014. 2013-14. Just looking at your LinkedIn. Right. Oh, yes, it's so, probably 2013. Okay. So 2013. So so then then what? Talk us through how the prospect of actually acquiring the business starts coming about. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing sales for him. I'm I'm doing decently well. And we're we're, we're growing revenue a little bit. And he starts to work with a broker to try to uh, market and sell the business. And he had a couple people come knocking on the door, coming in, you know, go through all the, the different financials and everything. But no one was coming anywhere close to what he thought the value was, but more importantly, no one wanted to run the business in the way that it was currently being run. A lot of people kind of wanted to sell it parts and assets and, and just kind of dismantle the business and get what they could for it and not mm-hmm. really take the business with his type of you know vision for where we should be doing. Why do you think that was? Why do you think that there wasn't the right buyer or why, why were people coming in with different visions than his own? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. I, I would love to have a better understanding of that. My thought was that he just worked with one broker who it was not their full-time job. It wasn't really what their, what their you, you had misaligned incentives, if you will. I don't think he understood the other ways to go about marketing a business to sell. And I just don't think they kicked enough tires. I don't think they had enough reps. And so it, the results weren't coming towards him and he just gets getting very frustrated very quickly with it. Okay. Okay. And so then what was, what did, what happened? Yeah. So we, we go to, go, <laughs> go to lunch in, in Wicker Park one day and he just kind of goes, I don't know, Mark, this isn't going with how, how I'm exactly hoping for, you know, would you be interested in purchasing the company? And I just put my food down and said, no, I have no desire to do that. My intention to be here is to 
help get this exit and start my own company. I want to be an entrepreneur. I, I do not want to purchase a, a, a business. Again, highlighting my <laughs> uh, ridiculous frame of thoughts back in my, my younger years. And, um, <laughs> and, and I, yeah, I shot him down pretty hard actually. Um, but then I don't know, that thought went in the back of my head and that little seed just kept growing and growing and growing. And to the point where I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm talking about it to my friends. I'm talking to my mom, but you know, it's just, it's just the opportunities that I saw in the future were quite large it, we really for the business, for the business itself. We really hadn't taken a lot of the resources and put them back into the business recently. Like our, our ERP system was one that my mom had personally coded back in the eighties. It's MS DOS. Your program. mom built the, built the ERP. She's a developer. She, in her previous, before Howard Medical days. Yeah, in the eighties, she was a developer. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, it's an MS-DOS system. If you've ever seen the, black people don't even remember what MS-DOS even is. That's what we used up until 2016 when I purchased the company. We we had a system where the sales orders are written on paper. It goes in the tray. So Jim would get them out of the tray. There was a lot of room for process improvement with the company and there still very much is. Um, But, and we really didn't have a web presence. I mean, we had a website, but there's no e-commerce. There's many, many things that I was just thinking, this is going in the right direction. If you could put some money into this, put some resources into here. And then also just, you could look at the demographics of the country and know that medical distribution is on an upward trajectory as far as industry goes. And then just also, because, because all healthcare is essentially growing. I, I, I would say with, without right. a doubt, you have just a certain population, which is getting to that age and healthcare is, is becoming a larger, you know, part of the GDP. Yeah. Um, and, and also Howard Medical has been really recession proof, if, if that makes sense. So when, when things are on the upswing, we, we join in that upswing. And then when things are going down, everyone's looking to save money. Everyone's looking at cut costs. And hey, we're very good at that. <laughs> that is a core strength of ours. Call us up. Let's do an audit. Let's take a look at what your spending is. And I can, I'm going to find ways for you to save money. I can guarantee it. So mm-hmm. in, all, in all environments, it's generally been a good business. And so all of those factors just just stayed in my head until the point where I came back to him a couple of weeks later. I was like, well, let's say, let's say just that I was interested. <laughs> just, just for argument's sake. <laughs> how, how do you see this playing out? So your, your initial very strong reflex was hard. No, but, Correct. but simply it just, it just, you couldn't stop thinking about it. All of the opportunity for improvement in the business was keeping you up at night and just kind of on your own. And I guess talking to your, your network, your friends, your mom, um, you just started coming around to it on your own, but your dad didn't try to convince you. He, he left it at that one conversation. And then, and then you circled back around and said, Hey dad, maybe let's talk. Yeah. Correct. He he is, he is not a, he has never been a hard, 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 hard salesman. (laughs) And, And so you're, you're reluctant, that initial reluctance or straight up resistance to buying the business was, was because, as you said, you had this notion of what an entrepreneur was, and that's somebody who starts something from absolute scratch. Was there also any res- resistance based on the fact that just like working in the family business, like the family aspect of it didn't like bothered you? Did that, did that play a role one way or the other? No, uh, working with family is not something that, that has ever caused me hesitancy. I mean, I had done it my entire life and, and had come back in. I, I think the hesitancy in my mind was that it didn't feel like true entrepreneurship because yeah. of what my preconceived notions of what entrepreneurship was. I thought that people would see that I was taking the easy way out and not starting my own business when I had been talking about starting my own business for most of my life. I mean, that had... Post, post second year of college pro, that was my stated goal. My goal was yeah. that I was going to start a business. And every, yeah. all, all of my friends knew that. And so I was <laughs> yeah. just thinking, oh, they're going to be like, oh, we just tapped out and purchased the family business. And it's like, again, I, I can't express how silly it just seems to think to have those thoughts run through your head. There's so many ways to, 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 to get to the end results of what you're looking for. And this is an absolutely an underutilized vehicle in, in, in order to, to have a to be an entrepreneur, in my opinion. And so, Mark, if you were talking to your, your uh, less wise self of 20, <laughs> 2013, 14, 15, what, what would you say today to convince that Mark that he's being short-sighted? Yeah, I, I, I would say just do, do, more, do more research in what entrepreneurship is. Talk, you know, re- read the books, listen to the podcast, do, do the information, because I think as society, we have these glorified notions 
of the founders that have been able to go and grow these businesses. But it's not the norm. This is not normal for a Zuckerberg or a Bezos to start this thing from scratch and grow it to what they're, what they're at. And I think we over, way over glorify these individuals, but not that they don't deserve it, but it's like we keep them on a pedestal, but we don't, we don't talk about the person that took something from, from not from zero to one, from one to 10 or from 10 to a hundred. It's different skill sets. For, and it's more, more common the case that someone's going to take it from one to 10 than from zero to 10. And I just think that there's, there's a million ways to get to your end result which should be a happy life where you control your time and, and your energy. And I think that this is such a better way to do it. The, it's a lot low risk than, than trying to go from zero to a hundred. And it just seems, it just makes sense because the math makes sense. I mean, the math on purchasing a business, it, 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 you, you, what you're putting out every month should be less than what the business is already cash flowing. So you should be able to walk in the door profiting with a bake of business. I mean, the math to me just, it just makes sense. And, and I really wish that I would have had a better sense of that back in, in 2013, although I came around to it. So let, let's tie this back into, you get excited, you start getting excited actually about the, all the opportunity that there was in Howard Medical, all the low hanging fruit as, as they say. And so, but you still don't yet know all of the stuff that you just said right? About, in fact, how like the, the deal structure can be so advantageous to acquire a business versus starting something from scratch. So when did you learn that? I, I guess, take us back into the story. So you, you reapproach your dad and you say, hey, dad, actually, maybe let's talk. And what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So a podcast like yours right now, if I would have been able to binge this back in 2013, would have been a lifesaver because <laughs> I didn't know any of this stuff. And especially for family owned businesses, like it, for transitions, the only information out there that I thought was really not positive. It was seventy percent of businesses fail to the second generation, and families are torn apart, and brothers and sisters are suing each other in court. I mean, it's really some ugly stuff out there. And mm-hmm. then, from what your question is starting with, is actually what information did you have in order to value a business? How did you talk to the lawyers? All of this stuff was just Google for me in a time where I was not finding results. So, like, how do we value the business? I I've Googled it. I asked my one friend who had been a finance major and then a friend of a friend who was kind of a CPA and we all came up with different numbers. I averaged them out. It was not great. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I look back at that and just think you really had no clue what you were doing. Not that I have a great clue now, but as far as the business valuation and, and how to go about that process, I mean, I, I was, I was quite clueless. Well, and it, it, so was that the deal, what you took to your dad, the offer? Was that what he, he accepted? Or tell us about what the acquisition terms actually ended up being. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I had a pretty clear idea of what he was looking for. And then I feel like I almost played with the numbers to get it to the point where it was that, if that makes sense, because I didn't really understand. I mean, I understood multiples but I didn't really understand how to find true earnings of a company when you had the owner was being paid. The vice president was my mother who was retaining a salary, the profits and then inventory. How does that all play into evaluation? I I did not really know. And I heard so many different opinions that, I mean, I just kind of made a guess at it, put the numbers together in a way that made it seem like that was close to what his number was. And then, yeah, he was, he he, he was, he was happy with it. I will say from a family, uh, a family owned structure, like, seller finance, you can make that be very advantageous to both parties because there's no actual bank involved. So I was able to do that with 0% down and actually hold a month. So we didn't start the payment until until the second month of the business. And then as far as getting to his number, he doesn't care if that's principal or interest. So you can be a little loose with the terms of the arrangement because anything that's going to be um, the interest is written off from 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 the business taxes. So we were able to do that in a really friendly terms. And that was, that was advantageous. I definitely believe that. And so it was fully seller financed then? Correct. hundred percent. And, and so can you tell any more about the terms? Like how, how long is the, is the payout oh, for example? Yeah, for sure. So it was, it was high six figures and it's over mm-hmm. a 17 year period. High six figures over a 17 year period. And did you and your father like actually sign a contract or was it more of a handshake deal? Yeah, no, we, we did. We did bring in lawyers, which <laughs> was very against our ways of doing things. 
uh, but the lawyer that represented him, um, so they actually would not do the transaction if I personally did not, if Mark did not have a lawyer as well. If we will okay. not do a one a one sided transaction for both parties, we cannot possibly be uh, do our due diligence to both sides. So I went and took a recommendation of theirs and had a lawyer as well. And speaking of due diligence, what did that look like? You, you, I mean, you were already really knowledgeable about the industry, having worked in it since you were a little kid, and then more recently as a salesperson and to having these conversations with your father about him wanting to sell it. So you already knew so much. Was there additional diligence that you needed to do? Uh, there sure should have been. Yes, I would uh, agree with that. <laughs> you, you, you had a gentleman on, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, who, who he specializes in the due diligence process yeah. for a company. Elliot Holland, yeah. Correct. That was a fantastic interview, by the way. He seems Sweet. like a straight rock star. And yeah. I was just thinking that that would have been a really, really useful <laughs> resource to have <laughs> when I did that. Um, no, I just, I just, I knew the numbers and he would go over financial statements with me. But it's, it would be a farce to say that I truly had a good handle on those things at that time. Okay. Just to talk a little bit more numbers, to give people a sense of the size of the business, can you talk about what, uh, how big the business is in terms of revenue and, and profit margins? And I know there's been some ebbs and flows. So tell me, you know, going back yeah. a couple of years, if you can. Yeah, for sure. Um, historically, hard medical has been in the $1.5 to $2 million range and generally sub 10% net at the end of the day. Um, it's been pretty steady for a long time. You can show, you can show that going back for, for quite some time. So for, from like a, a staying power perspective, I felt very confident that this was going to be a business that was going to at least give me those types of returns moving, mm-hmm. moving forward. And it's been around since 1978, been around for a long time. We're pretty entrenched in the Chicagoland area. So most of the hospitals are at least familiar with who we are. Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing really seemed like a lot of, a lot of upside if you were able to, to build up. But yeah, it was historically in the 1.5 to $2, $2 million range. With 10% margins, ish. I would say sub, yeah. So, and just so we're totally clear on what medical distribution is, you just referred to the hospitals. So are you essentially like a hospital needs more, you know, last year, of course, PPE was the, on the tip of everybody's tongue. They call you and they say, Hey, we need whatever, a hundred thousand pairs of gloves. Uh, and they call you and you make it happen. Is that, is that essentially kind of what you're in the business of doing to, to give me 30 seconds on what the business does? Just so I, sure. everyone's yeah. totally clear. Yeah, no, a- a- absolutely. It, it, it is not very clear. I, and I, I recognize that not everyone actually understands what medical distribution even is. Um, but you've got all the manufacturers who physically make the products. And then you've got the healthcare clients, you've got the hospitals, you've got physicians, you've got medical centers, and then you've got the distributors. So the healthcare centers and the, and the actual manufacturers, they're, they're never going to work back and forth with each other. You'd have to work with 200 different manufacturers. The manufacturers don't want to ship to all those different locations. So we are a local resource where we're the middle person in between those. So we'll place the large POs with the manufacturers. We'll bring in all the full skids here and we'll break those down and deliver them as needed to all the different healthcare facilities on an ongoing basis. So we have, for our end users, we have a, you know, stocking capability. So you tell me you want to buy X, Y, and Z, we keep it stocked, keep 30 days on hand for you and deliver it as needed. And we're also an emergency provider. So that's why last year was such a beneficial year for us, because a lot of the hospitals knew that when they can't get something, they call Howard Medical and we figure it out. We, we are ruthless with our capabilities of not stopping until you get the products that you're telling me that you need. If your primary distributor can't take care of it, you call me up, I'll be your secondary and, and, I'll, and I'll figure out how to get it done. So when you say primary and secondary, so are you in some relationships, you're the primary and some you're the secondary, or do most distributors like you usually slot in and they're always the secondary or always the primary? What does that mean? Yeah, this is a very good question. So Howard Medical is a very small player in the game of medical distribution. So we are a, a local niche company. Mm-hmm. There is uh, our nationwide competitors who are amazing companies who <laughs> really just the scope of what they do is, is, is fairly mind blowing. But they take and, care and Mark, are any of those like household names? Would I have would I have heard of any of those? Yeah, uh, Cardinal, McKesson, Amerisource, Cardinal. Bergen, oh, yeah, Medline. Sure. Those are yeah. those are all those are all, those are. I mean, it's it's almost silly to even call them competition. They are the nationwide competitors. I mean, nationwide distributors who are taking care of the healthcare accounts. But in that, there's so many holes. There's so many areas 
that you need improvement for when it comes to supply chain. And we really try to fill those holes as a secondary supplier for the acute care, for like the hospital market. For the non-hospital market, so more like your physicians, your medical centers, we, we are a primary distributor. So we will, we will stock all of their supplies to them and deliver on an as-needed basis. But into the hospital market, we're more of a secondary. Okay. And so your business in terms of growth is converting more doctors uh, or private practices to use you as their primary distributor. Yeah. I mean, so that, that goes into the, uh, the strategy that we are, are, are now looking forward to moving forward, which is, which is growing, it's growing some legs. It's, it's being a more uh, a, a strong secondary for the hospitals with stocking capabilities. So really filling those gaps on an as-needed basis per product categories that aren't being addressed by the primary, by their primaries, and really solving the problem so that their supply chain becomes a, a lot more smooth moving forward. And that, that is a, a definite uh, a focus of ours right now because supply chain is just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a disaster and it continues to be a disaster. And all the hospitals are, are currently saying, I mean, we, we need to focus on supplier diversification. We're interested in local distribution and we're interested in transparency and supply chain. And those are things that we do very, very well. So that message be getting back and forth with the hospitals and all healthcare really in the Chicago land area, which is where we focus, is really resonating. And we're really starting to figure out how to be a, a, a more pertinent uh, you know, partner to these hospitals right now. So it sounds like the strategy is really uh, sort of upselling and, and growing your footprint within existing clients rather more so than going out and getting new clients, at least for the moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Account penetration is is, is definitely the, the the game that we're trying to trying to play right now. We again, we we know all the hospitals, especially after the last eighteen months. They all know the benefit that we can bring to them. So it's it's a message that's that it's really turning into more of a partnership, which is where I think distribution should be going towards. I think mm-hmm. historically, a lot of people say this is an adversarial approach where, oh, you don't keep enough inventory and your prices are too high, and it's like. What are, what are your challenges? What's the struggle that you're facing right now? And how can we partner with you to, fi- to fix that? Like, that's really what we're, we're trying to focus on. And that message is really resonating right now as a secondary supplier that's local in the city will have this stuff delivered in two hours that will guarantee stock levels. And with my new ERP system, I can show it to you that transparency in supply chain is huge right now. I will mm-hmm. actually show you what I'm keeping on stock. If I tell you I'm going to keep 100 on stock, I'm going to show 150. I will share the information with you 24-7 that you can have access to. So those are really how we're trying to, to fix the holes that are currently in the market from the hospital's perspective. So it sounds like a common frustration is that a hospital be, will be working with a distributor and they'll call the, that distributor to say they need, you know, a thousand units of X. And then the distributor says, sorry, we don't have that in stock. And, and so it's just not a very reliable source of supply often. Yeah. Two to three weeks is, is a, <laughs> a term that is used very often that, that um, it's always two to three weeks. And it's hard. It's, 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 it's an, I, I don't say any of this to denigrate the nationwide co- competition out there. It's an, it's an impossible game to play right now. And I'm able to keep high stock levels because I'm playing the game in a smaller fashion. I only need to take care of Chicago. I'm not trying to take care yeah. of the whole Midwest of the United States. It's not possible to actually keep those types of par levels if you needed to distribute to the whole country, it's just not possible, but I can do that for my, for the subset that I'm looking to take care of. So I really, it's, it's not a denigration of the, of the other uh, medical distribution companies out there. It's just that this is how we can support in that secondary role in our market. Yeah. So we all know the supply chain issues that are going on now. What was it like last year? T- tell me what 2020 was, was like for your business. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess so. There's, there's what was it like, and what was the uh, outcome from a financial perspective? And I find those to be two very different things that I'm still struggling to square away in, in my own psyche. Um, but from, from a financial side, yeah, we went from a two million dollar business to an eight million dollar plus business last year, and wow. in, in, in one year, you know, now we're talking north of ten percent on a profit margin. So it was a hundred percent all because of our ability to be agile and source. I, I spent a good chunk of my waking life vetting new suppliers or new connections or different manufacturers. I mean, I was working with the U.S. President Chamber of Commerce talking about manufacturers in China and Malaysia and 
it was it was um it was not something I really ever want to go through again. And that's with me being on this side of the desk. I'm not even in like I'm not taking care of patients. I yeah. My appreciation for healthcare is is, is unbelievable. We, we didn't know if we could open our front doors and people were going into hospitals on a daily basis to care for patients. Like it's it's crazy. So anything that I've yeah. done is just behind a <laughs> behind a desking with a with a phone. But um, but yeah, it was. It, it was challenging and you have to give absolute kudos to the team, the team of employees that we have here. I mean, there was times in the warehouse, we had 10,000 square foot here. Every single, every single square foot had pallets on it and we had trucks coming in. So we, we had times where we needed the truck to come pick up the 10 pallets to take it to the hospital just so the other truck could drop stuff off just so that we could do that again. I mean, the logistics on this was, was absolutely crazy. And it's just, as as is the case in any time that there's chaos, there's just a ton of bad actors. So the information was just absolutely terrible, and everyone was out trying to get a buck at the time, and it was it was very very challenging. But that's again why why we were successful is that we would not say what we could do if we couldn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. we you know, transparency, reliability, agility, and compassion are the you know those are the core values of the company, and we stuck to that a hundred percent. The mission of the company is to solve the supply chain challenges for Chicago's healthcare. And that was the all blinders only thing that we were trying to do for the entire year. And yeah, the, 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 the team here was just, it's just unbelievable. I'm, I'm in full, full on amazement of the, of the employees here that were able to continue doing this in a day in day out basis. Cause it was tough. I mean, it, it was challenging. Every single hospital was in, was in straight chaos and they would call and just straight yell at you, scream at you, cry, anything that was going to need it there. I, I can't imagine it from their perspective. They have employees that are going in that don't have the necessary precautions to be going into a nationwide pandemic. I mean, worldwide yeah. pandemic, it was, it was a challenge. So that's was, incredible, uh, Mark. Congratulations on surviving and on, on behalf of, of your customers and the patients that they were serving, you know, uh, gratitude and, and thank you. It sounds like you guys really were uh, working your tails off and being ethical and in a, in a very murky environment where there was probably a lot of people being less ethical, less than yeah. ethical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I highlight that side, but on the other end, there's so much good. There yeah. so many, there was so just, there's so many people that came together to work together in environments where that did not normally happen. Yeah. I mean, there was different, different distributors who would say, I don't have this, you have this, this client's looking for this. It's like, there was a lot of collaboration. And that is where I see medical distribution going in the future. I mm-hmm. see the end users having all of the information, the transparency in the supply chain, it continually goes more towards the users and collaboration happening on the back end. So it was like, I thought this was a beautiful, uh, uh, you know, of how this can work together. Yeah. And, and I really think that, you know, over the course of time, we will see, we will see more of that. Cool. Well, going back to, I mean, just the business itself. So yeah. last year you, you quadrupled the top line of the business, but that doesn't sound like that was just a one-off. It sounds like some of that is going to continue on that. It's it, you, you've, the top line has permanent permanently you know, jumped up a level. Is that, is that accurate to say? And, and why is that the case? Like, why didn't it just drop back down to where it was historically? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess one, one reason that you can't walk away from this is that the supply chain has still been a disaster for a good chunk of 2021. Right. So 2020 was, was chaos, but we will have reverberations of this for multiple more years to come. And I personally still have boats that are still staying outside of Long Beach right now yeah. as does every single company under the sun. So yeah. it's um, anytime that there's that much uh, chaos and confusion in the supply chain is an opportunity for my business because we are very agile. We are very quick to respond. And again, we only need to take care of, of Chicago. So I think that plus that plus the relationships that we've strengthened through the last 18 months, instead of me being like maybe fifth or sixth down the, the line of we're out of this, who do we call? I'm, I'm a pretty hard second phone call at this point. If your primary mm-hmm. doesn't have something, I'm, I'm generally getting those phone calls at this point. Mm-hmm. And then also we're taking that strategy and putting it to play. So we're building that base of business of, you, look, you've called me six times in the last two months for this product. Would you be interested if I just kept 45 days of this on hand and you had it next day guaranteed 100% of the time and I'll show you my inventory in real time? That's a message that just resonates right now. I mean, no one's, no one's just being like, no, Mark, I'm not interested in that phone call right now because it's, it's 
our our incentives are very much aligned at this point. So the, the goal the goal at this point is to take the resources from the last eighteen months that we've been able to garner and put it right back into the business. So in, that, in yeah, what way? Yeah. So building out the infrastructure and building out the people. So I'm. Um, I have never been able to run a business that actually had financial resources just ready at hand to play with. And it's like, oh, now I have this. Well, I can do this with my ERP system. I can hire an executive VP general manager. I can hire this ops person. I can hire additional hospital reps, non-acute care reps. And it's all of these things that historically would have been not, not even a pipe dream. Like I never even thought about that before. And now it's, well, I have the resources. Let's put this into play. Let's work with that marketing company that can help us help us hone in on our message. And how do we share that with the hospitals? How do we improve the website? All of these things are what we're working on right now. And it's just, I mean, it's fun. I mean, I truly enjoy the building aspect of what we're putting together right now, especially with the team that we have in place, which is actively growing. It's just, it's exciting. Last year was never fun. <laughs> there was yeah. never a good yeah. point of last year. But now it's build mode. Now it's how do we take these resources and put them into play most effectively? And it's it's a pleasure. Mark, how, in let's say 2019, how many employees did Howard Medical have and how many are you expecting to, to bring on? Give me a sense of the bodies and, and how much you're growing ratio yeah, so, from bef- before and previous. I mean, yeah. coming up and before. Oh, for sure. We, we, we have definitely had fluctuations in employees. And even, even this year, we've, we've had people that have left the company. We unfortunately had one, uh, one individual pass away uh, this year. And it's, 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 it is a constant evolving thing. But historically, we've been like five to seven mm-hmm. employees at the company. We had, and we should end the year with 10 if we finish this off correctly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, so you've grown, you will have grown by about 50%. Yo, yeah, yeah. Plus or minus. Give or, give or take. Give or take. And, 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 and I would say the different types of employees, right? So it's generally been just me in a very flat organizational structure. But with the resources, I can bring in something that's significantly better than me at running operations. I can bring in something that's significantly better than me at growing sales organizations. So it's, it's, it's even though it's not like 50 employees, the structure is just completely different than anything I've ever been able to be a part of before. And that's very exciting. Going back to the acquisition, what did you perceive as being one of the, the biggest risks? Uh, what were you worried about when, when you, know, you got in there on day one? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Well, I, um, I, have, I have this thing where when I'm facing a decision, I will generally try to imagine the worst possible scenario. And then I will put myself 100% into that situation just so that I can say, okay, if this happens, what am I going to do now? So when I was thinking of worst possible scenarios about buying the business, it was, it was pretty dark, especially because of the information that I had taken in with 70% of businesses scaling to the second generation families being blown apart. So I was very concerned about one, just failure. Just if I, if I try this and fail, like I'm a failed entrepreneur, like this is, not something that I was able to do with my life. And just, just that type of failure scared the crap out of me, mm-hmm. which in hindsight is crazy. Most people that are successful failed at a hundred different things before they found that one that worked. I just didn't know that at the time. So, but mm-hmm. that I was like, that one, that one was terrifying to me. I was really scared that if it didn't work, my family would disown me. And then my brother and my sister wouldn't talk to me anymore. And then I'd force my parents back into the workforce after they retired that was a very real threat in my head. And I was, that was a tough one to square away, but that's that the experiment that I did. If I really put myself into this and let's say that happened, let's say you took this business over in two years, it actually fell apart. Like our parents aren't going to disown me. We're going to figure this out. My brothers and sisters are still going to support me. Like there was no real avenue there that I could actually foresee where those negative thoughts in my head would come to fruition. And when I played that exercise too and realized that that was the case, then I was like, okay, so the only real downside is that you fail as an entrepreneur in your first go. Like I'm personally okay with giving this a try if that is a possible outcome. I will say though, Mark, like there is a certain additional weight on your shoulders of buying the business that you and your siblings have worked in, your mother worked in, your dad founded. So even like though you're, you know, even if things went completely south, your parents weren't going to disown you, your siblings weren't going to disown you, like there would still be, there would still be much more um, psychic damage 
than yeah. if you had just bought the business from a stranger. Correct. So, so there was there was still some familial pressure there, uh, even if even if your family wouldn't have straight up disowned you, you know. And I, I imagine yeah. that 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 was you know something that you had to manage. Yeah, I, I guess the 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 way that I managed that was just with straight cockiness. I just assumed that anything that I was going to touch, I was going to be able to figure out. And I just I just had that that real faith that if I give something a hundred percent of what my time and my energy is. It, it will end up working because yeah. that is just a, that is just a belief that I, I personally have always had in myself. Yeah. And, and it really needed that because, because yeah, no, what you're saying is, I mean, to be fair, it still scares me. I'm making decisions right now that I'm putting a lot of resources back into the company right now. Like if we don't continue to scale and grow this company, we would not be operating at a, at, at a profitable level, if we went back to 2019 levels based on what I'm putting into the company right now, like that's a risk right now. So those right. thoughts, I still have those thoughts. I don't know. I don't know if those are, those are ever really gonna, gonna go away, but, yeah. but I mean, I, 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 I did have the support of my, of my mom and my dad. I did have the support of my siblings and it's, you know, we're, it's, it's a combined effort, if you will. It's not like I bought the building and my dad was like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see you later now. So it's, they, they were with me, but I will say that first year I did nose down that revenue real hard. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a rocky start. So tell me, about, <laughs> tell me about that. I mean, you told me offline, but tell, tell the yeah. people about year one. Yeah. So I guess that up, utmost faith that, uh, faith that I had in myself got pushed pretty hard <laughs> in 2016. Um, yeah, we had done, I think it was like 1.6, uh, in, uh, 2015. I took that down to about 1.45, which was not profitable in my first year in business. And that was dark. That was not a, I mean, if it wasn't for last year, I would say that was one of the darkest moments of my entrepreneurial journey that I've had getting to the end of 2016, looking at my income statement and balance sheet, seeing a negative number and being like, that's all I did with my year. Like that's all I did was this business. And I didn't make a dollar. Like that was crazy to me, but, um, well, what happened? Why, why did the, why did the revenue dip? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, a lot of the clients that we had were relationships that my father had had for 20 plus years that I just assumed would transition really easily to me, but they looked at it. It did not happen as easily as I thought it was going to. So a lot of those a lot of relationships didn't transfer over to me. And because of that, we definitely saw some, some sales slide. I think a lot of people, if they had issues, they call Ross and Ross would take care of those issues. And they saw this young kid walk into the door hot shot thinking he's gonna go run the world, put the new ERP system and all this stuff. And, you know, to be fair, they were right. I really had no clue what I was doing at that time. And I, and I, I did not change this in a lot of those relationships as well as I, as I could have. And then what happened in 2017? How did you, how did you claw back or, or did you, I mean, what did you do yeah. January 1, January 1, 2017 to, to, to write the ship? Yeah. Claw back would be a great, great term. I remember cause I was living with a couple of my, my high school buddies at the time and it was, it was, it was new year's Eve and I'm sitting there and I was just crushed cause I was looking at my numbers and I don't know, they, they both kind of looked at me and just said, Mark, there's no world in which you don't bring this back. It doesn't exist. We know you, we, we, we know what you're going to go do right now. You may not have that faith in yourself, but you're not going to fail at this. Like you're going to figure this out. So get that out of your head and just go do it. Like stop, stop doing this. It was basically the message that they threw my way. And that was huge for me personally. So then I was like, okay, I really don't understand the numbers. There's a lot of parts of business that I thought I knew before, but I really had no clue on a lot of this stuff. And I, I reached out to the SBA. Um, so they have an emerging leaders program through the small business association, which was a about four month uh, program. And every other week you'd sit down with a group of other business owners and you kind of go through the, the, the steps of business. Like we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about operations. We're going to talk about sales. You know, like a month on each thing. They do books and resources my way. We got to talk about it. We do presentations in class. I learned so much that year. I mean, it was unbelievable. Just talking about your strategy, your message. I mean, we had 17 different segments of clients that I, I calculated in 2017. And we were just really thin everywhere. We did nothing exceptionally well. And we did everything and it was really hone in. What are your strengths? What are you the best at that you can do moving forward? And that, that class through the FDA, which was a free program, by the mm-hmm. way, was 
unbelievable. So that, that, that for me helped tremendously to get, get the feedback underneath me. So then 2017, you know, got back up to that 1.6 level, got it to 1.7 and then 1.8. So we actually had our feet underneath us by, by 2020, which was, which was huge. Cause if we would have had that opportunity of you can go anything that you bring in the door is going to go out the door with no money. It wouldn't have mattered. I wouldn't have any money. I wouldn't be able to, to turn business. Right. So those couple of years to really get my feet underneath me, understand how to run this business, understand the, all the aspects of it you need to. And that was, that was definitely very beneficial. What was it in those SBA classes that was that you learned and helped you kind of develop a strategy for, to, to correct things and, and put you on a stronger footing and path? Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, the biggest one was, I read this book called Managing by the Numbers. And I mm-hmm. never, never read this before. And this was like a 200 page book. And it really just walked you through start to finish what financial literacy looks like in a business. How does your cash flow statement tie to your income statement tie to your balance sheet? Just really basic things that I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. know that I graduated with an entrepreneurship degree. I didn't, I, I didn't do, I didn't run those types of numbers when I was doing college pro. It, this was the, the math was just different. It was just an easier way of going about it. So mm-hmm. like that right there, now I'm able to sit down and actually look at my numbers, understand how to segment the markets that I'm selling to make decisions based off of that. Those types of things in the first two months of the program were crucial to me. I do think that if to give advice to anyone that's, that's looking into this space is that so much information exists in the world right now. You can find the absolute expert of an industry and they will have probably put a blueprint out on their body of knowledge that you can just go read for free. You can go watch these you know, YouTube videos of the experts of an industry talk about their industry. I mean, the breadth of, of information out there is just unbelievable right now. It's, it's, yeah. it's almost overwhelming. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing right now. So I, I really think that if you have a whole, your ability to fill that quickly is, 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 is just easy if you have the energy and the wherewithal to go track that information down and, and learn it. You had also mentioned that you worked with Cultivate and had, had like weekly calls. So, or maybe it was bi-weekly calls. So tell me, tell me what that was about. Yeah. And when did those start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. So when I was, when I was running the college pro, my general manager is named Dan Graham and him and Casey, a fellow general manager, went and started their own um, business advisory company called Cultivate. So in the middle of 2020, I'm absolutely swimming. Like we're actually making money now, but I am working every second of the day and I'm doing everything reactively. Like I'm not proactively making decisions. I really, really am treading water at that point. And I was just like, I need help. I, I need to talk to someone. I, I just need, I need help at this point. I reached out to Dan and he was like, absolutely. I already know the, 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 the woman that I'm going to put you in touch with. She's fantastic. And so huge shout out to Dan Grauman and Autumn at, at Cultivate because I started talking with her once a week and it was their work on the business, not in your business. That's a really throwaway phrase that everyone uses that yeah. it's unbelievable how important that is because I will just work. I will just put my head down and I will never look up to breathe ever. <laughs> so this once a week, taking two hours to say, okay, what decisions are you trying to make? What is your ultimate goal with the company? What do we, what should we really get done from this Friday to the next Friday that will help you get closer to your vision of the company? I mean, just things that I was not doing. And then from her perspective, it was pretty clear. She goes, you have resources and you have no time. Go hire, go hire, <laughs> go hire an ops person, go hire the salesperson. And it seems like incredibly obvious after the fact, but it just wasn't for me. I would still have my nose in the, in the, in the grind of never looking up. Um, yeah, I cannot, I, I cannot say enough about their, their services and really Autumn in, in general, because uh, it's been, it's been just absolutely tremendous to, to, to work with her. What would you say, Mark, to somebody considering buying the family business or buying a business from a parent? Any, any advice for somebody like that who was in your shoes a few years ago? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And honestly, I love talking about it. So I wish that I had resources to pick brains of when I was trying to do that. And I actively looked and I could not find it. And now there just are networks that are available. I mean, you can reach out to me personally. I can guarantee you, I will give you two hours of my, any one of my days to just sit and talk about it. Cause I love this stuff. I love talking about businesses. I love talking about acquiring businesses and what you can do with them. Um, I, I would really say that if you're, if you're interested in it, 
just 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 find the resources that are out there and available to really find out what you you know want to do like that's that's the whole thing right i mean this is this going to get you in your life where you're trying to go to i think a lot of people don't really have that understood so that's probably where you really want to start <laughs> um but yeah I, I think just understanding that the resources are out there to help you with that decision process and and go after them was there anything mark just to wrap up that You've you've um, alluded twice now to that statistic that seventy percent of second generation businesses fail. Was there anything you think that you did to put yourself in the thirty percent? That's 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 a very good question. Again, well, um, I I really have a when my back's against the wall mentality. I'm just going to keep going until it works. And and I think you have to have that as an entrepreneur because no matter what business you're in or and really in life your back's going to be against the wall when it, when it, when it comes to it. No, no business runs smoothly. No business is just up, up, up every single month. And it's when you get to that point, what are you going to do? Do you have a network of friends that will help push you in the direction that you know you need to get to? And then I think just having that really utmost faith that you're going to figure it out when it, when it gets to that point that you, you, you have to have that if you want to, to be able to push through those dark times. That's great. Although that's at it. the same yeah. time, I will say, I don't think if you got something that's not working for you, you shouldn't just put the next 20 years of your life towards something. Yeah. You know, you should always know what the ultimate goal of your, of your, of what you're trying to do is, if that makes sense. Mark, you just generously offered to, to give people two hours of your time. Um, you, words, <laughs> words you might regret. How can people reach you? <laughs> I can guarantee I won't regret it. I, uh, I, I mentor for a, a company called M Hub here in Chicago. And these people are your time. Like, I'd love to get, you know, 20 minutes on your calendar to discuss this idea. And then we just talk for an hour and a half because it's fascinating. <laughs> I love yeah. entrepreneurs. I love people that are building and growing and bringing new ideas to market. It's just, it's just fantastic. Yeah, uh, so me, me, yeah me personally, my email address, I'm, I'm, I'm on it like a hawk. It's Mark, M-A-R-K at HowardMedical.com. I'm also on LinkedIn at, it's just Mark Litton. Great. Mark, this was a really fun interview. Thanks for sitting with me and, and telling me the whole story of buying a family business, getting through COVID, quadrupling top line revenue, a lot of, a lot of fun details to this story. So um, have to circle back with you again in a year and see where things stand. Absolutely. No, Will, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. And I really appreciate you putting this kind of content out there. I really, really wish I would have had more of this when I was, when I was looking. Well, I'm glad it's helpful and entertaining to you now and, and I appreciate the compliment. Thank Absolutely. you, sir. Yes, All sir. Right.